Testing, testing. It's on. One, two, one, two. Microphone checker. Microphone wrecker. Microphone picker, picker. <laughs> Alright, let's give this a shot. What is life? What does it mean to heal? I'm a human. Hello, hello. Anybody there? Why are we here? What does this mean? Let's figure it out together. This is the Turning of the Bones podcast. What are we doing? That's fun. Just to come play. Play in the podverse. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Turning of the Bones podcast. My name is Colby Marie. I am your host. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in to the second episode of my podcast. Just gonna keep seeing where this experiment takes me. I'm really not totally sure. I've got a bit of an idea where I'm gonna go today after talking a little bit about fear in the last episode. I think I'll probably keep going on with that. But yeah, I'm just gonna going to keep feeling it out. I'm in a new setup today. I recently moved in with three other amazing human beings um, to an apartment. Well, no, it's more of a, it, it's a house. It's a house in South Denver, Colorado. So I am off 287, the major highway. And I can't tell you how much being off a loud road has improved my mental health. During the pandemic, being quarantined, staying at home, I was only really around one person within six feet for most of the year. I would see my partner maybe once or twice a week. And besides that, everything was social distancing and time alone in a very, very noisy apartment. Um, there would be J brakes, which are the very loud brakes on semi trucks here in America that go something like, they kind of shake my whole kitchen and it'd be Harley Davidson's and teenagers drag racing and having all kinds of fun and sirens. So it's very nice to be in a quiet neighborhood. I feel extremely fortunate. I just put in a garden bed, which I'm very excited about. Gonna do some gardening, get my hands in the earth. So in this new place, trying a new setup. I hope the sound is good. This is gonna continue to evolve one day. Potentially I'll have a a full-time studio dedicated to this, but for now it's a quilt over the door some pillows over the heat registers, pillow behind the microphone, and uh, a lava lamp for ambiance. <laughs> so how's everyone doing today? What's what's going on in your worlds? I hope, hope you all are doing well. I hope that you're feeling some kind of relief. The end is in sight with the pandemic. I recently got my second vaccination. I'm still in the two week period where they say that you could potentially still get it. So I'm gonna keep following all the safety protocols, social distancing, and wearing a mask until there's a little more information out there about what the other side of this looks like. Once 80% of people are vaccinated, really looking forward to that day. I'd like to thank science and people who are doing what they need to be doing to keep themselves and their loved ones and vulnerable populations safe. For me, I'm very excited. I felt a huge relief. Kind of this low-level fear that I think has been there all along because these stories about the pandemic or, or about COVID-19 or people getting them, getting it, have been so terrifying. You know, it's really inconsistent you'll hear of a 70 year old getting it and being fine and then a 30 year old getting it and having major health complications so ah, definitely feel a sense of relief on the other side of my shot 
Uh, hope you all can get your vaccines. Continue to wear masks and keep people safe. I'm not sure if there's definitive information out there. Um, so I'm going to continue to wear a mask, socially distance until I know what's going on. I think the Center for Disease Control said it's okay to hang out with other people who've been vaccinated um, or groups of other people. But for me, for my mental health, I'm just going to kind of keep doing what I'm doing. I've been able to hang out with more people now that I have three roommates and a partner. Pretty nice little pandemic pod. So my fear has decreased of catching the virus. Still thoughtful about not spreading it because it's not all about me. It's about what we do for each other. And yeah, what else is new? I think in the last one I told y'all I was trying to quit smoking. That's still going strong. Still doing the nicotine lozenges. It's really challenging. I find uh, just started a bunch of new work, including the podcast, and that stress makes me want to go back to one of my old, old habits, which is smoking cigarettes, but not yet. I'm down to two milligrams at a time, nicotine in these little lozenges, and got my tea so let's get going so in the last episode I talked a bit about fear and about how when I was young I really wanted to overcome my fears and that eventually led me to a very exciting near-death experience skydiving I think I mentioned I've been skydiving since, and I think it's really fun. It's actually quite safe. That was a pretty freak accident, or near accident. Um, but towards the end of the podcast, I mentioned that, you know, I just have new fears now. And I think I spent the last couple of weeks really contemplating and writing a lot about fear, and it... It's really fascinating. I was having a hard time picking a lane for this podcast. I wrote a little bit on my blog. You can go to www.turningofthebones.com. The website should be up this week. I'm almost finished. I wrote a little blog about some of the stuff I've been thinking about as far as fear. This idea of real, immediate fear. Um, like being in a car accident or being startled by somebody and then imagined fear the way that our brain projects fear into the future or really just makes us anxious in a way um, it's a really complex system and I'm not a, an expert in neurology but it was really fascinating to find out Basically, your body has the same response to real and imagined fears. Physiologically, you release a lot of the same neurotransmitters, so it's really hard to tell the difference between something you imagine is a threat or something that actually is a threat. And the dictionary defined fear as an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous likely to cause pain or a threat um and i found that really interesting right like it's caused by the belief um you you think um your body responds to a thought or an emotion that something is going to cause cause you pain or is dangerous um and let's all be honest fear is a super uncomfortable emotion I have part of my mental health escapades I don't know if that's a good word for it but um in my mental health journey I've um worked with acute and chronic anxiety I've had panic attacks um and if you've ever had anxiety or a panic attack, you can't, you understand what I mean when 
when you're in that state, it's hard to believe that what you're perceiving as a threat isn't actually a threat. You know, if you're afraid of crowds of people, if you have a panic attack about that, your body goes into the same physiological response that it would if you were being attacked. Um, I think it's your limbic system. Um, I think your amygdala gets in there, but basically you release a lot of different neurotransmitters. I think neoepinephrine is one. You release cortisol, um, and it basically prepares your body for for action, right? It's like an alarm system. And if you've ever had a panic attack or been startled, it's exactly what it feels like. It's like all of a sudden your home security system is going off in your body and saying, intruder, intruder. Um, and it's a really overwhelming experience. Um, and so, Yeah, now I have new fears, right? And so I mentioned in the first podcast, I was really afraid of heights. And part of what I did through, um, I think what would be classified as exposure therapy is like by degree, I introduced heights into my life to overcome my fear of you know, falling and plummeting to my death. And then eventually kind of the end of that for me was jumping out of a plane, but it didn't start with jumping out of a plane. You would never, you know, go to the scariest thing first to get someone to overcome a fear. That's just, that's just cruel in a lot of ways. It'd be cruel to do that to yourself or it'd be cruel to do that to somebody else. Um, and so, you know, by, by small measure, I began to engage with my fear of heights. And I didn't know this at the time. Like, I've learned all of this is <clears throat> in my adult life that there's something called exposure therapy where you have a traumatic incident. Let's say I'm going to use one for my own life. Somebody pulls a gun on you. And... Um, from then on, like anytime I'd watch a movie, you know, for years after, like I would, I would get, you know, my heart rate would go up, I'd get a little nervous, my body was probably releasing cortisol, and I didn't just like jump into it and find a friend with a gun and say, hey, point that at me until I'm not afraid of it anymore. Like that's a pretty rational fear, you know, gun accidents are real, but like it took me a little while to like watch guns and move, see guns in movies, and then. Uh, I grew up shooting guns with my dad. It took me a while before I could shoot a gun. And I think my entire relationship with firearms after that incident with somebody pulling a gun on me kind of changed. I think I just, I have, I always had respect for them because I was, you know, taught how to use them and how to use them safely. But I don't know if respect is the right word, but I have, I just have a greater fear, honestly, like when I've shot guns in the last two years out in the woods here in Colorado and, or in Utah, and every time I'm around them, I'm just a little bit more nervous because I had one pointed at me, so like, I imagine getting shot, and, you know, in some cases, imagined fears really do help keep you safe, you know, like... It's not that every imagined fear is bad by any stretch of the word. Um, but so with heights, I kind of got off on a tangent there about guns, sorry. Um, but with heights, I didn't just go straight to jumping out of a plane. I gradually did things in small measure to get over that and I've come to find out that's called exposure therapy you know like I would go off the low diving board and then I went off the high diving board and eventually learned that in those scary moments if I was aware and present I could 
control a certain amount of the variables in my relationship with heights. You know, I'd be safe as long as I jumped into the water. And I lost the fear that I would somehow spontaneously jump from the high dive onto the concrete and die. So I did that, and then I went climbing, and then, you know, first time I fell climbing on a rope, you know, it, it was terrifying. And I had to take a lot of deep breaths. I was having, you know, a full fear response. My, my body was super activated. I was sweating, my heart was racing. I was dizzy, but I had a friend kind of talk me through that, you know, and support through this is really helpful, you know, to have helpful friends or the help of a psychologist or therapist um, doing research. You know, I would never suggest it as jump into this on your own um, the way I did. It was pretty, say so, yeah kind of maybe kind of dangerous just emotionally for me but I really wanted to get over that fear and so eventually you know I would go hiking I would stand on the edge of rocks and just kind of look and sit down and practice breathing and tell myself things like you're going to be safe you're not going to jump I in my 20s I built houses so I would have to work on roofs or walk on a two by four wall um, to put a roof on and you know first I just crawled along and eventually I learned how to stand up and kind of get my bearings and then I learned how to walk on the walls and then I learned how to walk on the walls and then use my hammer and eventually I became more and more comfortable with heights and I maintained some of that real fear right like there is a real fear if I'm not present I could fall but if I stay focused keep breathing and keep my wits about me I could manage some of my own safety and security and so little by little I got over my imagined fear of heights you know this fear that I was just going to spontaneously jump or fall um, and I started to work with, you know, a real respect for the fear of falling and injuring yourself because the fear of injuring yourself, I think, is one of the five fears we all share. I was doing some research in a, a lot of different psychology journals and magazines said that there are like five root fears one of them is the fear of extinction um, so the fear of ceasing to exist which is definitely a part of my fear of heights right like <laughs> if I fell I would die I didn't want to die I mean I remember laying in bed after I heard the the prayer now I lay me down to sleep I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake I pray the Lord my soul to take. <laughs> I still can't believe we tell that that uh, prayer to kids because basically it just kept me up at night. I'm like, what? I can die while I sleep? Like, you know, I'm sure when that prayer was written or first uttered, there was a real possibility, you know, that children passed away in the night. But with health care where it was in the 80s, I don't think I needed to learn that prayer, so I would just spend hours at night like, well, if I stay up, I won't die in my sleep, and the Lord won't have to take me, so <laughs> I'll be okay just so long as I don't go to sleep, and that's a whole other podcast, possibly, but, uh, so yeah, the fear of heights was, you know, the fear of extinction, um, and triggers for that could be, like, heights, the ocean, big open spaces and triggers are things that like kind of bring up that fear for you so heights brought up my fear of extinction of not existing another one of those fears was those common ones was mutilation the fear of uh, losing a part of your body or having it damaged so that also kind of comes up with a fear of heights like that's a really deep fear that most humans have 
the fear of losing a limb, the fear of insects can bring this up, the fear of, uh, like, that's a really good one with the pandemic. Like, I think we've all been kind of the fear maybe that dissipated for me after getting the vaccine was the fear of mutilation. Like, I'm not low-key afraid that I'm going to get this virus and then, you know, potentially have some health complication on the other side of it. Um, I mean, this can be the fear of crowds, you know, that you're going to get trampled. Heights can be this one again. Um, doctor's offices. The dentist, I think. <laughs> it's pretty common. People don't like going to the dentist. And I think that ties into this shared fear. We have the fear of mutilation. Um, the third one on the list was the loss of autonomy, which is... Uh, kind of a, free, a fear of losing our freedom, which I think after spending some time contemplating this week, it's, I think we all share this. None of us want to give up our freedoms. Um, the fear of being immobilized, the fear of being paralyzed, restrained, um, smothered, or controlled by circumstances outside of our control. So like claustrophobia, um, fear of the police can bring this up. Um, let's see what else. Aging, injury, poverty, fear of like losing your financial means to support yourself because you have less choices the less money you have. Um, I would say the pandemic. This is, you know, I think this is big piece of this shared trauma we're experiencing in the pandemic is that um, you see these uh, anti-vaxxers and anti-mask people um, on the far right in America, you know, saying that this is socialist control. And really, if you, th if you think about it, like, um, yeah, it's super selfish in this example, but like I could see that they would be af afraid of giving up their autonomy, um, which is possibly the topic for a whole other podcast. But, um, and on the other side, you know, like, uh, you know, abortion rights, fear of not having control over your own body, um, Oh, an interesting one I thought about with the loss of autonomy is like anyone, has anyone, if anyone's had a, what's it called, sleep paralysis, where your body is still, it still believes that you're asleep, but you wake up, you're conscious, but your body still is uh, immobile because when you, sleep and dream a certain part of your brain shuts down your muscles so you don't act out your dreams like the way you see um you know like dogs kind of run like they're they're running in their dream but they're not fully running like their movement is limited um so yeah anyone who's experienced night uh sleep paralysis knows how terrifying loss of autonomy can be or any of these other things um but I digress. Then there was a, another fear on that list was the fear of separation, um, which is really interesting. Um, it's the fear of abandonment, rejection, or loss of being connected with other human beings, um, being shunned. Um, and anyone who has survived middle school or high school in America, I think, um, has probably had an experience of this fear like utterly destroying you when you think that maybe you did something uncool or you misspoke and your friends um, don't talk to you for a day or somebody doesn't sit with you at lunch the next day at school. Like that fear of separation of being kicked out of the group is as intense as 
any fear that I've felt. Um, and I think this is another one that has come up during the pandemic. You know, we've been separated from loved ones. Um, we've been cut off from the activities that bring us joy and nourishment. And I think the fear of separations super real and I'll come back to some of these as I'm talking in this podcast episode and then the final one was trying to remember it oh ego death so this is an interesting one it's the fear of humiliation or shame or other profound disapproval. So like the fear of public speaking um, can kind of be linked to this, this idea that like, and it's, I think it goes, I think this one kind of dances with the separation fear is that uh, we're afraid that this made up sense of self that we have right like I have this idea that I'm Colby and Colby is a good person and I experience this fear pretty frequently and especially I've noticed it increase the more that I do the podcast what happens if I misspeak what happens if I hurt someone's feelings by saying the words that I'm saying Right? It's my intention to create this podcast as a re resource to tell stories, to provide information, things for people to think about. And so it's my goal to share my experience and the things I've learned that have helped me with my audience. So right, that fits into this ego, this identity structure that I have that Colby is a good person. Right? And that can get way out of proportion, but we'll just leave it there for now. So if I make, let's say I misspeak about something on, a, on the topic of race and I offend one of my friends or I misspeak on the topic of anything really, feminism or... Um, uh, LGBTQIA issues, if I misspeak and I say something, just let's just say I say something wrong. So my fear of ego death then comes up, right? And I am, I feel it like my cortisol, you know, I feel my brain change, my heart beats faster. And I, I think, right, like this is the, like, good kid bad kid thing we learn like don't be a bad kid don't be good good child bad child um and so i'm afraid on and i think this isn't just a conscious level i think these 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 deeper fears these five that i've listed run throughout our psyche right so like pre-conscious subconscious unconscious minds i think these deeper ones right they they create archetypes that have lived for thousands of years. These deeper fears are all pervasive, and so they bring up a real response in our body. So for me, like ego death um, has definitely been up, right? Like failure. What if I fail? Um, and so, and I think these 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 fears really dance together in some pretty interesting ways, at least in the journaling I did about myself and my relationship with them. Um, you know, I think that, you know, the pandemic kind of has us all operating on a low-level fear response right now because these, these fears kind of come up daily, hourly, um, Every minute, you know, we're all experiencing isolation. We're all experiencing separation. Um, you know, if you're not around your social group getting feedback from them and you're alone during the pandemic, you know, you might be experiencing some forms of identity death or ego death. Um, 
you know, everyone in the world, I think <laughs> it's amazing. Like public speaking, right, is terrifying for an absurdly large amount of uh, the population. And it's really our shared fear of ego death, of identity death, of making a mistake in public that's so huge that it'll bring up every ounce of shame or guilt that we have and, you know, our palms sweat, our hearts beat. And uh, we say things like, oh, I could never, I could never be Tony Robbins and talk in front of thousands of people. I could never be Amanda Goodman and read a poem in front of the entire world. Um, because we can't imagine making a mistake up there. And I think it's really, it's really interesting. Um, and so, I was afraid of heights. I still am afraid of heights, right? I have a really healthy respect for heights, especially the older I get. And the more my balance changes, I'm 44 years old now. Um, still in pretty good shape but I'm not as in good I'm not in as good of shape as I was when I was younger um so if I were to get on a roof to do some work that I could easily do in my 20s I would still have a fear of falling off the roof um which is a real fear but um I think I've I'm continuing to work um to have a relationship with my fear because I think it's something, you know, besides a very small percentage of the population, you know, I think, oh God, I can't remember the, the climber's name, but it was on Netflix or Amazon for a while. It was the Alex something, maybe he free solo Del Capitan and Yosemite. Um, like Alex, has, it seemed like has a different relationship with fear, like not everybody has the same, you know, neurological response, but I'd say for the most part, we all experience fear. And I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, you know, f philosophers and spiritual teachers and monks and saints and sages um, have written about fear and how it controls us since we had written language. Um, and so I think that fear is something that we, I don't know, I, for myself, I like to get to know my fears and I like to understand, um, because like they just, they kind of evolve and change, you know, they change my fear of illness or aging or losing autonomy is different now that I'm in my forties when I was 20. You know, I, I was going to be fit forever. Um, and I know that's not the case for everybody. I know that's a very ableist lens to see the world through. Um, but in my experience, you know, I couldn't have imagined in my 20s giving up my autonomy until I hurt my knees skateboarding and I couldn't walk for a month. Um, and the ongoing relationship I have with fear is kind of working to determine whether that fear is real or imaginary. Um, is it something that my brain is projecting into the future? or sometimes really interestingly into the past so our our imaginations and our brains are so powerful that they can change the way our body feels um i had the experience i got to go canyoneering um with my friends that I mentioned in the first podcast, um, I got to go canyoneering in France. And canyoneering is basically, 
you put on a wetsuit, you have some ropes, and uh, sometimes you, you're just walking through the water, you're hiking through a really beautiful canyon, sometimes you're jumping, you know, 10, 20 feet into like a, a deeper pool, sometimes you're sliding down some rocks. Um, but when I was doing it, you know, kind of like the experience with the airplane, I didn't really have a, a healthy sense of the dangers around me. I, I was with people I trusted. Um, and I had this really lovely day, you know, I would slide down some places and go underwater and then come back up and jump into some. And I, I knew that jumping was dangerous and I needed to be present, but the sliding to me just felt like, you know, like a little kid going down a slide. I didn't think it was dangerous. And then I came to find out, um, years and years later that, um, you know, there's a, a, a chance that your foot can get wedged in a rock if you, you know, go when you're canyoneering. You can get trapped under the water. If you if you slide down into a little pocket or a pool, you can get stuck. Um, and so my brain is so powerful that when I heard that information, which I'm sure that everybody else I was with knew, I didn't because, like I said, I haven't always done this in the safest manner and um, if I had a child I would give them a lot of advice that I didn't have myself um, <laughs> but uh, so I hear this, this story about somebody passing away canyoneering and then I, I do some reading and some research about um, ways that you can get stuck and things to avoid and watch out for when you're canyoneering and my brain created it went back to the memory of sliding down one of these little slides into this little like I don't know five by five pocket of water that was maybe ten feet deep um, so my brain created went back to that memory but what it did was it superimposed the danger and so I had, you know, at least an hour of feeling terrified that I was going to drown from something that I already did. So, so my body released the cortisol, um, you know, the neurotransmitters. I, I lost a bit of access to my prefrontal cortex and my frontal lobe, and my body really felt like, oh, shit I could have died and I felt the fear just from a memory a memory superimposed with new information and so why, why the hell am I saying that well just the power of the brain it, it's really incredible and I think the way our imagination dances with the real world and projected experiences it serves a really powerful function in keeping us alive which is basically all our body's ever trying to do like once you're born you want to stay born um, and so the power of imagination can really help help us stay safe in the future right like if, if you know that about canyoneering and you're going out with your friends you can try to stay safe you can look for potential potentially dangerous situations you can give good advice about how to safe safely slide down something about how to safely jump off a cliff into a smaller pocket of water um, and so not all imagined fears are bad. You know, a lot of them really help us stay safe. Um, I'm going to take a little break here. I don't know if there will ever be advertising on this show, but maybe a advertisement could go here. I don't have any instruments around. I know Blind Boy always plays his ocarina, which I absolutely adore. 
gonna give it a little pause I thought I had a flute here but maybe it'll just be be me rambling as I look around for something I didn't have ready um, Hmm. No flute, no drum. I'll just get going back to the back to the podcast, back to it. Hope you enjoyed that little break. This is a uh, crowd-funded, viewer-supported podcast. I really appreciate each and every one of you listeners. I really thank you for tuning in. I'm looking forward to creating this together. You can send me messages and Patreon, www.patreon.com backslash Turning of the Bones. You can go to the Turning of the Bones Facebook page, DM me, Turning of the Bones on Instagram. And soon, the Turning of the Bones website, which is... I'm very, I'm very excited about this. I, I've learned a lot creating or getting to the point where I was ready to do this podcast. And if it turns into something successful and financially viable, then great. But I have really enjoyed this experience. And one thing that has been beautifully frustrating and fun has been designing the website. A uh, dear friend of mine named Wancho up in Boulder, just a beautiful human, super talented artist, uh, created the art for that. I did some of the graphic design and the layout. I will have blog posts there. Kind of uh, hope to put up stuff relevant to each week's podcast, further reflections, maybe just a little example of how my brain works through some of these ideas. Um, so this is, the goal is to have this be for us and by us. I don't really want to have to answer to sponsors. I went on, uh, so when I was setting all this up and getting it distributed, one of the pop-up windows asked me if I wanted to distribute it, distribute it on Amazon. And I was like, yeah, why not? You know, I'll get it on iTunes. I'll get it on Spotify. <laughs> you know, get it everywhere. I want to make money off this. I want to. I want this to be my full-time job, if possible. Um, telling stories, talking about interesting things, talking to interesting people. I'm like, this is this would be my dream. Potentially travel. Um, so <laughs> I was like, yeah, let's. Why don't I put this on Amazon? And I had this intuition before I clicked yes. I was like, I should read the, the, the user agreements here. And one of the user agreements was that I could not speak disparagingly about Amazon. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Fuck that. I, uh, I reserve the right to say what I think about Jeff Bezos and the way Amazon treats its employees and the way in which they try to block their employees from creating unions that would create better working environments. I mean, if you do any kind of research about how Amazon treats its employees and not the PR stuff, I mean, during the pandemic, Amazon has been keeping people happy. They've been delivering little dopamine hits of joy in the form of consumable products at a higher rate than ever. I mean, I I think once a day, one of my roommates gets something from Amazon. And the, the service that these employees are doing for us all during the pandemic um, to keep us happy, to give us the things that we need, to keep us safe. You know, they're out there risking their lives and they're not getting hazard pay. They're not, um, they're just not treated super well. So I reserve the right on this podcast to say what I feel about Jeff Bezos and Amazon. And you know what? 
I think there should be a union. I think they should get paid more. I think they should have full benefits. And I will not be distributing this podcast on Amazon because I can't say how I feel about Jeff Bezos if I do. So I'm hoping that we can use the Patreon page to fund this, to create it ourselves, to talk about whatever we want. Because that'll be magical. Take a little step outside of this uh, late stage capitalism and the, the, the horrible, uh, horrible, horrible constraints that having a sponsor would put on me um, and limit my creativity and the things that we can talk about. So www.patreon.com if you can afford a cup of coffee a beer, glass of wine sandwich once a month pay if you can if you're getting something from this if you can't, please keep tuning in for free I really want to keep making this accessible, this brings me so much joy um, so engaging for me in life, so I get so much out of it, and if you're coming and you can't afford it, don't worry about it. But if you can, please uh, toss me a little coin. That would be great. I can keep doing this. So where was I? Take a little sip of this delicious. I have this rasa tea that my friend gave me, and it's a, a mushroom adaptogenic blend, and it really helps my brain get going for these podcasts. My David Bowie mug. And I'll get back to it. I think that at the end of the last podcast, I spoke a little bit about my new fears. So, what are my new fears? If I, uh, Well, I think my new fears really, um, I think I'm afraid of confrontation. I'm afraid of conflict. Um, I haven't always been. Uh, I think as a younger human and someone who was assigned male at birth and was culturally conditioned to be a man that uh, the language of conflict and the language of violence um, was something that was, it was like in an uncomfortable suit of armor to put on. But to survive my childhood, I learned how to put that, that suit of armor on. And so um, the way that I learned how to engage in conflict was oftentimes having a really big emotion um, that usually looked something like anger. And as I've gotten older, uh, I've really tried to take a look at I mean, I think the first step was to kind of take a look at how my anger affected others. Um, which I got some pretty good feedback about. You know, I remember being I think it was in my early 30s I was driving and I used to get extreme road rage um, I was just like so many Americans just a wound up bottle of anger and stress driving around on crowded highways with um, unpredictable drivers and situations and I remember I was taking a, a ride with a really good friend of mine a dear friend of mine who'd yeah, just it was a pretty good source of uh, reflection at times, and uh, we'd been through a lot together. We were driving somewhere. I think I'd known him like twenty years, and we were driving somewhere, and I, I freaked somebody. I don't even remember what happened. There was a traffic jam. Let's. There was a traffic jam, and I got upset. Right just start yelling I don't need, I don't think I had my window down I wasn't like targeting anybody but I was like really really upset and 
I remember after, at some point in the middle of my rant, he was like, if you keep doing this, I'm never riding in the car with you again. This sucks. And it was just like one of those moments where um, the feedback you get about your behavior is so beautiful that you actually take a look at it. And so I remember just being like, oh, wow, like my anger makes this person feel so unsafe that they don't want to ride in a car with me. And, you know, I have this idea of myself as a good, safe driver, but here I am freaking out and yelling at people um, so much so that my friend doesn't want to ride with me anymore. And so I think my first step was to kind of do like an assessment, like how does this, how does this emotion come out of me and how does it affect the people around me? Um, you know, when I was a teenager, I'd punched holes in walls, probably did that into my twenties. Apologies to anybody who had to see that. Um, I probably already given most of those apologies in person. This isn't just a blanket apology, so I don't have to do it in person. Um, so my first step was to kind of look at how that expressed itself in me and then the next piece of it was to kind of and I think where I still am today is to kind of see how that emotion expresses itself internally like how much discomfort does it cause me because like I mentioned we're tying this back to my fear of conflict um, I feel afraid to tell people how I feel um, because there may be conflict um, and that stems from a lot of different sources right it's societal it's um, familial my dad has a pretty short fuse about a lot of things um, can be very calm about others but you know it's pretty unpredictable like I said, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. Um, so I had a drug addict and alcoholic in the house until I was 10. Um, and then someone in recovery for the next four years before he moved out. And so um, I'm afraid of saying how I feel. I'm afraid of saying what I need. And I'm not saying, you know, there's, there's lots of causes here. This is not to point fingers or blame. It's just a dynamic thing as all experiences are. Um, and so I notice quite frequently when I imagine telling somebody how I feel or what I need or making a request, I have the imagined fear of there being a conflict. And so internally, I have this preemptive experience of anger. I st I'm like, oh, I'm already angry at this person, and they haven't done anything. <laughs> um, uh, what's an example I could use here? Um, here's a here's a here's a non-personal request. Um, would you mind wiping off the counter after you do dishes? Right, like I know for me, I do dishes and I get water everywhere. So I'm imagining somebody else here has done dishes, didn't wipe the counter down. It's really a simple request, but I, my fear is that if I say that, I'm going to be met with rage or um, potential like psychological, I don't want to say psychologically confusing things. Like I'll have to justify why I want that. Um, I'll have to defend myself. So if I have to defend my request, I have to defend my reasoning. And so my internal experience of imagining making a request as simple as could you wipe the counter off after you do dishes. Um, my imagination prepares me for battle. Um, for lots of reasons, right? Like toxic masculinity. Um, you know, there were so many experiences I had being raised as a, 
a, a man or a male where, you know, you have to justify why you want, to, you know, or, you know, need something or feel something. Um, and I think it's interesting there, just think about the language. I have to defend myself. I have, so I'm in an emotional or psychological battle to a degree if I have to, like, justify why I want the, the counter wiped off, you know. And so internally I go into this kind of preemptive um, kind of boxing ring um, where I'm, like, getting ready for all the, you know, it's like Rocky getting ready to fight um, Ivan Drago. Um, you know, you're doing all the training, you're looking at the videos, you're running it through in your head, but <laughs> I've come to notice that, like, that process causes me a huge amount of discomfort. It's not fun. Um, it usually leads me to creating a story about the other person that isn't true or real. Um, and I think they're two really interesting acronyms that really apply um, using the word fear and it's false evidence appearing real. So F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. Or future events appearing real. And so I think those two kind of dance together in my fear of making requests of other people. Um, I'm imagining, based off of my experience in society and with my um, some members of my family, uh, that making a request or saying how I feel or what I need is going to be met with some level of It's going to be met with a lack of curiosity. It's going to be met with the need for justification. It's going to be met aggressively. It's going to be met with uh, flat-out rage or anger. It's going to be... Oh, here's another interesting one I've experienced with some people. You make a request, and then they're like, well, I have a request for you, so it becomes like a competition. It's like, could you not... Uh, would you mind wiping off the counter after you do dishes? I'll be like, oh, would you mind not, uh, what would it be? It'd be like, would you mind not leaving your shoes by the door or something um, absurd? Or like, you know, and then it becomes like, you know, it's like playing Battleship. It's like B-17, A-18, and it's like, wait, no, this isn't, this doesn't feel safe. Like, now we're engaged in like uh, this really weird colonialistic, like, um, request land grab kind of thing like well you took you took my battleship so I'm taking your destroyer um, and so that's that's kind of like my new fear it's like it's around that and that fear uh, right like that anger that discomfort um, my body's releasing a lot of the same, or a lot of similar stress hormones, stress, the neurotransmitters. Um, I don't have access to my frontal lobe in those moments, right? I'm just kind of in this like animalistic fear cave that this person is gonna respond to my request with some degree of violence, right? Like may not be physical violence, but it could be like, you know, some verbally confusing or emotionally confusing things. Um, and so I think we just keep getting to know fear, right? We get to know it on different levels. We kind of get to go back and pick up these pieces of ourselves from when we were younger and our fears didn't get tended to. Um, I know being raised... Uh, male in this country, you know, it's like shove them down, shove down your fears. Um, or another one, get over it. Um, and so you kind of, you know, you get to go back and see those little pieces of yourself that didn't get addressed, and um, you get to see where 
where you're afraid now, you know? So like with the example of making the request, um, I don't think it brings up my fear of extinction, right? Like I don't think that um, for me making a request, like I, I don't think I'm going to be physically injured um, or die. Um, it doesn't really bring up my fear of mutilation. Um, it does bring up, I think, maybe the loss of autonomy, you know, like uh, being emotionally controlled or uh, socially not having choice in my house um, or in a partnership or wherever, you know, making requests or saying how I feel. Um, I think it definitely touches into the loss of autonomy. It definitely fe feels like some level of separation, right? Like I'm a arguments or disagreements are terrifying, right? That That's like a perceived separation, you know? Uh, that person's going to go away. Um, and like I said, you know, when these fears come up, a lot of times we don't have access because of the neurotransmitters to our prefrontal cortex. And if you've experienced childhood trauma, it's even harder. Um, and so making a request is terrifying for me because I think there's going to be like, you know, my caregiver is going to go away. And even if I know intellectually that my roommate isn't providing for me, like some part of that, that isn't available to my brain at the time, you know, when I'm thinking about asking them something or asking a partner or family member to do something. Um, and I think it even gets into the identity or ego death. It's like, I don't feel... Like some part of my identity doesn't think that it deserves to make requests or have feelings or need. Um, you know, it doesn't, I don't deserve to uh, I don't deserve to take up space, right? Like that kind of, like this is really crazy. Like if you break it, if you go all the way down that one, it's like I don't deserve to exist. Which isn't true at all. Um, right? friends and family would be like that's absurd but like to some degree um if you don't feel like you can take up space or say how you feel or what you need you know maybe you that ties in oh maybe it does tie back into uh extinction because like i remember yeah like non-existent you can be afraid of the time before you're born as much as you can be afraid of the time after you've lived so you can be afraid of dying to equal degree as you can be afraid of like in 1942 I just wasn't there which I think is kind of funny now like I just I wasn't so I think that was it I think that is the second podcast on the theme and topic of fear not a an expert just talking about my experience some of the things i've learned i hope this was valuable to you to some degree hope you enjoyed it i hope that it brought you some level of comfort you are not alone we are all in this together and i think that we have a lot of things in common and i know that for me that really brings me a sense of peace especially during the pandemic, when we're separated, especially with the amount of divisiveness um, in the news and on social media. Um, it's nice, nice to know that, nice to know that we share fear in common and that we all want to just keep living uh, we want to be healthy and happy. We want to be free. We want to be connected. And uh, I think we want to have a try and have a good time doing it. Be nice to each other. So be well. Blessings to all of you. And. 
best of luck. I will talk to you very, very soon. Bye. Fear by Khalil Gibran. It is said that before entering the sea, a river trembles with fear. She looks back at the path she has traveled from the peaks of the mountains, the long winding road crossing forests and villages. And in front of her, she sees an ocean so vast that to enter, there seems nothing more than to disappear forever. But there is no other way back. The river cannot go back. Nobody can go back. To go back is impossible in existence. The river needs to take the risk of entering the ocean, because only then will fear disappear. Because that's where the river, river will know. It's not about disappearing into the ocean but of becoming the ocean. Mm -hmm.